please never ask me to speak after Brian Tier again. I think uh, I think I might need to go home and find something else. This is what I've got today. Just give you a couple of scriptures today, and it's uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to talk to you men today. I've never spoken at a, a men's conference before, um, so this is uh, this is different for me. But let's see what the Lord will say to us today. Uh, in Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen through twenty, Jesus is talking, and he says, "Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal." But lay up for yourselves treasures. Y'all say lay up for yourselves treasures. It says lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Another scripture this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. He says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who give us, give us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. The central idea, guys, in, in both passages this morning deals with storage, investments, putting up good things, but putting them in the right place. And based on that idea this morning, I want to talk to you for a little while about the arsenal of the future. You know, nobody really ever expected much out of David. This point becomes painfully clear to me whenever Samuel the prophet shows up at the house of Jesse. Samuel had been sit there, we know, by God to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as the next king over Israel, but he didn't know which one. So one by one, Jesse's sons pass before Samuel, and one by one, they are each rejected. Seven times, God says, no, that's not the one, Samuel, until finally there's nobody left. No more sons. So Samuel turns to Jesse and says, is that it? Are, are these all of your sons? Is there anybody else? And Jesse says, well, there remaineth one, the youngest. He's out keeping the sheep. That's all he really does, Samuel, is keep the sheep. He's, he's really young, just a little runny thing, really not big and strong like Eliab here and not experienced and wise like Abinadab. Why, little David, he's not really good for much of anything except looking after the livestock. I didn't even think to send for David. I just, I didn't think you would need him, surely not David. Don't you love the way that God does things his way? how he just works outside of our human logic and understanding. And I really personally love the way that he will use the overlooked, the ignored, and the unlikely to accomplish incredible things. But no, nobody really expected much out of David. 
even after being anointed by Samuel to be the next king over Israel, Jesse and the, and the rest of the boys still didn't see much special about David because in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the armies of Israel and the armies of Philistia have come out arrayed for battle, and the campaign has just turned into this trench warfare stalemate. Both armies dug in on the opposite sides of the Valley of Elah. So eager for news, Jesse sends David down to the battlefield, little David, not with a sword, but with a picnic basket. He says, go check on your brothers, David, and see how goes the battle. And look, while you're going, take this little picnic basket full of some corn and some bread and some cheese. And David goes down to the battlefield, and then he gets there, and his brothers accuse him of being up to mischief. What are you doing here, David? Who's watching the sheep? Because we all know the naughtiness of your little heart, and you're just here to see the battle instead of tending the sheep like you should be. David just couldn't get a break. Not really much good to anybody, just a runny, naughty, nosy little kid with a lunchbox. And King Saul certainly didn't think much about David because upon seeing this little stripling of a youth that so confidently volunteered to go out and face the giant, Saul looks him over and immediately puts David in the can't-do-it not prepared, doesn't stand a chance, dead meat category. You can't go out and fight this Philistine because you're but a youth, and, and he's been a man of war since he was your age. So Saul tries to dress David up in his own armor. Maybe he was just trying to hide how little David was from the rest of the men that were there because this is a guy that's going out and saying, hey, listen, if I win... You're going to be our slaves, but if you win, we'll be your slaves. And I don't know about you, but if I saw little David going out, I might have something to say about that. Cover him up, make him look bigger. You know, it occurs to me, and I'll just drop this little nugget in here, and y'all can think about it later, but there's not really anything you can do to dress up a sovereign move of God. You know, it might scare us so bad that our knees are knocking but God has never needed our fashion advice. Whenever he decides to move, he's going to move. But it's a mark of Saul's desperation that he even agrees to let David go. Ill-prepared dead meat or not, he was desperate for a champion to go out and face this giant. But if Saul thinks like most of us do, he probably wasn't expecting much of a fight. And you know, even Goliath didn't expect much out of David. Goliath takes one look at this little fair youth come out to fight him, and, and he gets angry. What am I, a, a puppy dog that you come out here, you get, you're going to defeat me with a, a stick? The Bible says that Goliath disdained David. He couldn't believe it. Here he is, this trained warrior armed and dangerous, and they send out a boy with a stick and a sling. But when the dust settled, David had Goliath's head, and David had Goliath's sword. Now, the head David took to Jerusalem. At the time, it was occupied by Jebusites, and David throws the head of Goliath up against the wall. He's just kind of serving notice, letting them know, hey, fellas, there's a new kid in town. I'll be back later. But the sword, the sword, 
that's really where the story begins. Now, I don't know what David did with the sword right after the battle. Give me a little bit of wiggle room here, but maybe he took it home. And like most teenage boys, he would have hung it up in his room. Friends come over. See the sword hanging on the wall. Oh, man, where did you get that? Took it off a fella. No big deal. Maybe Jesse, being the proud father, now the son that he didn't really expect much out of, took it and, and hung it over the mantle. And guys would come over to visit, and Jesse would say, you see that? Man, what, where did, little David, little David took that off of a giant. Always knew David would be something special. Maybe they put it out by the mailbox so that folks passing by would know. Man, did you see that sword? That, that must be where little David lives. Now listen to me this morning, because whatever David did with the sword after the battle, at some part, at some point, he, he started thinking about what really happened in the valley of Elah that day. And he started thinking about how it was God that had provided him with that victory. And he started thinking about how there was really no explanation for how a runty little shepherd boy could defeat a warrior giant other than the power of God. At some point, David realized this sword isn't really my trophy. This sword isn't really my victory. It isn't really my treasure. The glory for this victory belongs to God, and the testimony of this victory belongs to God. And I don't know when it happened, but at some point David took that giant sword and he put it in the house of God. I know he did because the Bible tells us. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is on the run from Saul. He has no supplies. He's weak. He's running for his life. He's hungry. So David asked Ahimelech, the high priest, for food. And the only thing that's available is the showbread, which he gives to David, and David eats. And then the situation takes a turn for the worse because it says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword for I didn't bring anything with me because the, the king's business required haste, you see. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. And if you want to take that, take it, for there's none other save that here. And David said, There's none like that. Give it me. Listen to me now. The only sword available was Goliath's sword. 
The only weapon at hand was the one that David put there. His only means of defense, his only hope for victory was the weapon that he had put into storage in the house of God. Do you have a sword, preacher? Do you have anything here that will help me? Well, just one, David. And you ought to know because you're the one who put it here. Just one sword, David, that's... That's all I've got. I've got the trophy you gave me those years ago right here, wrapped up in a cloth behind the ephod. And it, if you want that, David, you, you can have it because there's not anything else here. There is no other sword, David, just that one. Just the one that you gave me. And the light comes on in David's eyes. I can see it. <laughs> There's no sword like that sword. I remember that sword. I remember that victory. I remember the power of God that day. I remember that miracle. You see, I was in a valley, and it wasn't just any valley. This was the valley of Elah. I was in the fight for my life all by myself. There was nobody else there to help me. I was outmatched. I was going up against a giant, not just any giant either. This was Goliath that I was fighting. I was in trouble. And the odds didn't look so good. But God proved himself true and strong that day and gave me the victory over my enemy. When people thought I was done for, when people thought I didn't stand a chance, God came through for me. And I walked out of that valley with my enemy's head in one hand and his sword in the other. So there's no other sword like that sword, preacher. Let me have that one. Give me that sword. David was on the run, fighting for survival, cornered by his enemy. But the victory, guys, the trophy that he had stored up, intentional, stored up in the house of God, that victory saved him whenever he needed it most. And we know from Scripture that David, David got into the habit. David became very intentional about putting the trophies of his victories in the house of God. David got into the habit of gathering up after the battles the swords and the spears and the shields from his fallen enemies and placing them in the house of God. I've got to think it was the lesson of finding Goliath's sword in the house of God during that time of need whenever he was cornered by the Edomite. David learned from that experience. David took that lesson to heart and started placing his trophies, investing his victories, taking the weapons of his enemy and placing them in the kingdom of God. How do you know that? Well, it, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 11. See, it, it's generations later. Generations have passed. David is dead and gone. A woman by the name of Athaliah, she was the mother of Ahaziah. She's killed every single one of the descendants of David, save one, Joash. And he's just a baby. And so they take Joash and they secret him away and they hide him. His nursemaid hides him in the house of God. And the high priest 
raises Joash for years in secret, waiting for the day that they can try to put the last remaining son of David, God's anointed king, back on the throne. So seven years later, the state of the country became so severe and the wicked was, wickedness so great that the good-hearted, God-fearing, righteous men are meeting together and plotting treason against this wicked king, uh, queen. And they, they, they hatched this desperate plan to put Joash, this seven-year-old boy king, back on the throne to save their nation. And so they start meeting, gathering together, and, and called together by the high priest to plan this military takeover of the nation. And, and they start to meet and talk. They, they say, guys, we're, we're fighting an army here. We're, we're fighting a nation. We don't have any weapons. And there's one old preacher way in the back that raises his hand and says, fellas, yes, we do. As a matter of fact, we've got all of the weapons we could possibly need because they're right here in the house of God. And he reminds them of the weapons that David had stored up in the temple generations before. 2 Kings chapter 11 says, And to the captains over hundreds did the priest give King David's spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord. Some of you have heard me tell this before, and, and I said it before, I'll say it again. This is one of my favorite stories and if I can find a way to work it into a talk, I will. So you might hear this from me a few times. But it's a story of a lady named Patricia West. She lived in South Florida. And on a routine visit to the doctor, it was discovered that she had a very rare blood type. Only one in 5,000 people. And the doctor tells her, Patricia, you need to start thinking of others and start donating your blood. And she took those words to heart and started making regular visits to the blood bank in Edison there in South Florida. And years later, she moves from Florida to, to Michigan and became very ill and had to have surgery. During the course of that surgery, something went very wrong and she began to bleed severely. And so the call went out across Michigan for that rare blood type, but they couldn't find any. And then to Illinois, but there wasn't any there. And then to Kentucky, but there was none there either. And down to Georgia, but there was none there. But all the way down to Edison Blood Bank in South Florida, there was a plentiful supply of her rare blood. It was her blood. In the time of desperate need, what she had stored up sustained her. It saved her. I want to make two inferences here. Because she put it there, it was there when she needed it. And if she hadn't put it there, it wouldn't have been there when she needed it. But because she invested during a time when there wasn't great need, it was there for her, for her later when she was in that time of great need, in a time of trouble. When her very life, when her very survival depended on the investment she had made years earlier, there was something there for her to draw on. There was something there for her to lay hold to. We need to invest in the time of victory. 
We need to take those mountaintop experience, guys, wherever we have them. If they, ha- if they happen on the couch with our wives and children, if they happen around these altars, if they happen at youth camp, if they happen on the job, wherever those victories happen and those mountaintop experiences occur, we need to pour the joy and the strength and the wisdom of our spiritual triumphs back into the kingdom. Because we've got to ensure that there will be something here when we find ourselves in the fight of our lives. Brother Murphy talked about it, and, and so many people have alluded to that sermon, Brother Murphy. It, it, it struck a chord with people about storms, but we know it's not always going to be sunny days. It's not always going to be clear sailing, and it's not always going to be the mountaintop, but if we invest during times of victory, if we invest during times of plenty and times of ease, it will be there whenever trouble comes, during that time of famine, in that time of desperation. We've got to learn from David's example. Whatever victories you have, pour them into the kingdom. Whatever miracles you experience, whatever achievements accredited to your name, whatever glories this world places at your feet, whatever accomplishments you make in this life, however God blesses you, whatever talents you have, abilities you have, finances you have, education you have, whatever you have to invest, put it back into the kingdom. Invest your successes in God's kingdom Store up the weapons of the future in God's house because you're going to need that sword someday. You're going to need to draw from that arsenal someday. And I'm telling you, if you give it to God, he'll keep it for you. He'll keep it wrapped up and ready behind the veil, and it will be just as sharp and just as powerful and just as potent, just as real as it was on that day of victory. I'm going to make two more points here and I'll be done. We are today drawing from the victories of our spiritual ancestors. Their past battles are enabling our current victories. Look around you. I know I'm the new kid here, but look around you at at this place, at this house. Churches in the surrounding area, we have such a great heritage. Our churches have come such a long way just in the past generation. All but gone in in this country are the days of brush arbors and, and tent revivals. We have beautiful buildings. Our churches are now accepted in the communities of our nation. Didn't used to be that way from what I read. Our people are prosperous and respected, and it's all because praying saints of old invested their trophies back into the kingdom. They didn't keep those victories for themselves, but they poured what they had back into the kingdom. I want to thank God for my elders. Thank God for the battles that they fought and won. Thank God for the price that they paid to get the church where it is today. Thank God for that generation of Davids that came before Jason Cooper that stored up weapons of victory 
that I could draw from in my time of need. Second point that I want to make, and I'll wrap it up here, but what about the next generation? What's going to be there for them? What are we investing for them today? Is there an arsenal preserved for the great battles of their time? What arsenal are are Kalen and Ethan and Owen and and Cole and Ella and and all of the kids pictured out there in that little hallway? Is there an arsenal of weapons that we are stockpiling and preserving for them? Whenever the enemy comes around like Doeg, comes around the house of God hunting for them, whenever the dominating spirits of their time come looking for them, where are they going to go for strength, for knowledge, for peace, for wisdom, for victory? Whenever they really need something from God, men, we must build the arsenal of the future, and we've got to do it today. We've got to lay up our victories in the house of God for the kids that are coming after us. 1 Timothy 6 and 19 says, laying up in store for themselves, and this is the phrase that caught me, a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. We've got, we must, we must be intentional to provide that good foundation for them. What are they going to lay hold to otherwise? If there's not a weapon, if there's not a sword there for them to take hold of, what what are they going to take up? So here's what I'll leave you with today. If you're a doctor, go doctoring. Doctor everybody you can doctor. But give God the glory and build up the arsenal of our future. If you're a plant worker, get to plant working. But give God the glory for every victory. Build up the arsenal of our future. Tear, if you're a ditch digger, get to digging, son. Dig every ditch you can. But give God the glory. And build up the arsenal of our future. If you're a corporate manager, manage away, buddy. But give God the glory and build up the arsenal. Younger fellas here, if you're still a student, get to learning. Man, learn all you can. Soak it up like a sponge, but give God the glory. And build up the arsenal of your future. Do whatever it is that you do unto him and build up the arsenal that's going to save you. Build up the arsenal that's going to save your family. Build up the arsenal that's going to save your children. Guys, I'll tell you right now, I'm counting on some of you to invest and build in the arsenal that's going to save my kids one day. And I'm doing everything I can to put things in the kingdom that will save your kids one day. arsenal of the future. Let's build it. I'm done. Bless you.